0: championing truth, contending for the faith. This is Rooted. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rooted. I'm Chuck Moore, and we're going to be digging into the Bible and looking at some things that hopefully will be a blessing to you and uh, edify you. Uh, This is actually our first Rooted podcast, and for our first podcast, we're going to deal with a doctrine that is very prominent in the word faith movement. I was reintroduced to that doctrine uh, when I was doing some research for a series of messages that I did several years ago on how the New Age movement had infiltrated church teaching. From that uh, research, I produced a series of messages titled, The Seed of the Serpent, and it was just uh, – I wasn't looking for this uh, you are God's teaching. I just ran across it <coughs> in my research, and I discovered it was very prevalent. I had heard heard that it was out there before, but I discovered that it was very prevalent in the charismatic stream, particularly the word of faith uh, – um, Teaching of the charismatic stream, and so we're going to dig into that a little bit on this episode of Rooted. Uh, I'm going to give you some quotes first to just kind of set the tone for for uh, what we're going to be dealing with. One minister actually made the statement that we, because we're children of God, that we cannot be human. That's a quote. And he said that it was nonsense to believe that we were not gods. Um, Another very high-profile faith teacher made this statement. They may not be experiencing the financial success that God wants them to experience. Now, he's talking about believers um, that, that aren't prospering. They may not be experiencing the financial success that God wants them to experience, not because they don't have enough faith. It's because they don't see themselves as gods. Uh, Another uh, real popular televangelist made this statement in a Christmas message last year that he did, and he took as his text Isaiah 9, 6, uh where it talks about the government being on the shoulders of Jesus and that he is wonderful counsel of the Almighty God, the everlasting Father. Um, And and after reading that, he went to Ephesians 5 1 that says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Uh, he, He quoted that. He went back to Isaiah 9 6 and he and he led he he said he asked this question where is the government now? Uh, it 's on us. this is a direct quote from the the message. Uh, the government of the world is on mankind, and because we 're made in god 's image and god 's likeness, you can call us wonderful, counsellor, my mighty God, Christ in us, the everlasting Father, woo, the prince of peace that 's what it means to be the gift that Jesus gave you. so when you are a gift of God, it gives you the ability to act like God. Uh, So where does this come from? How do they come up with this? And a lot of times what happens is people who teach this will begin in John chapter 10. So if you could join me in John chapter 10, um, uh, if you're following along in your Bible, uh, we're going to look at uh, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. Um, in regard to who he is and what his mission is they uh- G- the the Jews are actually preparing to stone Jesus because he said he and the Father were one uh, They determined this to be blasphemy because jesus uh had made this made himself out to be God and Jesus responds to them in verse thirty four um, and he tells the Jews that if God called those to whom the Word of god uh, if it, if, if God called those to whom the word of God came gods, why is it a problem if I refer to myself, the one who God sanctified and sent into the world as the son of God? So let's pick this up. Verse 34. Jesus answered and said, Has it not been written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. The issue that Jesus is raising is his uniqueness. Jesus was God in the flesh and a son of God in a very unique way. Uh, Hebrews 1.3 says about Jesus, he is the radiance, he being Jesus. He is the radiance of his being God, his glory, and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All right, so Jesus is referring very uniquely uh, uh, of himself as as, as The son of god in a very unique way this doesn't make believers as children of god uh, divine in any shape form or fashion jesus was the son of god very uniquely we are not and we'll get into this a little bit later um probably maybe in another session about the uniqueness of jesus uh being the son of god and and how that is different than how you or i might be uh you know as children of god Um, Jesus is quoting in verse 34, Jesus is quoting the 82nd Psalm, uh, verse six verbatim. So let's go back there, uh, and look at the 82nd Psalm and, uh, we're going to read it its entirety to establish the context because the context is what's so important here in establishing, you know, what God is actually saying, um, uh so starting in verse 1, if you're following along, hope you're already there. But uh, uh, verse 1, Psalm 82, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possess all of the nations. Now, it's clear from reading uh, the 82nd Psalm, that in in verse 6, when God says, you are gods, that he's referring to judges, which is actually how the word gods is translated, as magistrates or judges, and he's got a controversy with them because they're not dispensing justice to the weak uh, and the impoverished, who are the most vulnerable of, uh, of society. They're not showing partiality to, or I'm sorry, they are showing partiality to the wicked. They're denying justice to the weak and fatherless. They're not maintaining the right of the afflicted and destitute, and they're not rescuing the weak and the needy from the hand of the wicked. They have no knowledge or understanding, and they're walking about in darkness. That's what God is saying about these judges. So, in, in, in verse 1 through 4, he's talking about what the judges are doing wrong, and in verse, beginning in verse 5, he's saying why. The reason that you're not doing this is because you walk about in darkness. You don't understand. You don't, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And so God referring to or to these judges as gods or that the word being translated uh in several translations I've got a New American Standard here it's the same way in the King James uh he uh gods is is the word the Hebrew word here is Elohim it's lowercase e um, it is translated uh, as gods in several translations, but in several, it's translated, it's translated as judge or magistrate. Um, uh, so in, in, in dealing with this, Spiros Zodiades says this about the use of the word Elohim here. It is the word Elohim which is used of God referring to his office as a judge and diviner of justice. In the establishment of the office of judge in the Old Testament, men were given the responsibility of representing this office of God. Thus, the usage of the term Elohim would not be confusing to one who understands that the man uh, is merely a representative of Jehovah. In this psalm, however, God is condemning those who had perverted justice and had abused their God-given privilege to hold the office of a judge. The warning given in verse 7 is that though be though they be gods, though they hold this honorable office among men to rule over them as God's representative, yet they are but men and will die like all other men. So God is not calling them gods. The, the word is translated uh, more accurately as judges, and the context makes that very clear. Elohim is used of men elsewhere in the Old Testament in Psalm, or I'm sorry, Exodus 21, 6, uh, also Exodus 22, verses 8 through 9. And something that I found interesting is it's translated angels in Psalm 85. So it's a real stretch to 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 use this uh, to say that those to whom the Word of God came were gods in the sense of being divine and to do that you've got to put a lot of foreign uh stuff foreign matter into this text um amen and so we so we've got to be very careful that is not what god is saying here god is not calling anyone god's in the sense of being divine another uh another uh couple of verses where people who get this doctrine take it from is out of genesis 1 26 and 28 so if you're like i said if you have a bible join me over there and we're going to look at these verses um, and dig into this a little further <coughs> excuse me so you you know the story god is creating man and and beginning in verse 26 the bible records And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, so people, they go, well, we're created in the image of God. We're created in the uh, likeness of God. We we are God-like ones, um, but is that does that mean that we're divine does that mean that we're little gods um and the answer of course is is no um one actually you know he said uh you know uh, you know when horses get together you get horses when dogs get together get dogs and when the godhead gets together you know you get gods which is ludicrous I mean, it's, 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 it, it, it's, it's just a ludicrous analogy. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and so what happens, what does image and likeness actually mean here? Uh, the Hebrew word for image is selim, T-S-E-L-E-M. The Hebrew word for likeness is demut, D-E-M-U-T. And um, the, 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 the uh, likeness uh, selim is actually statue. Uh, that's that's what it means. It, it's a statue. Demut means something that something else is patterned after. So the the words, it's not two words that mean different things. It's two words that that are being used to describe the same thing. We are created in the image and likeness of God. We are we are something that has been patterned after. Uh, uh, God. Um, it, it, but it doesn't mean that there's any essential nature transferred from God to us. Um, someone in the church that I pastor did a sketch of Lori and I from a photograph, and, and it, she did a great job capturing our likeness. But in no way is it Lori and I except in likeness. It reflects some things about us, but it's not a complete reflection. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't communicate our nature, it doesn't communicate our uh any essential parts of our personality, it's just a likeness. Um Selim and Demut are the same way. Adam being in the may, being made in the image of God simply means that he was created in God's image just like a statue represents the one from whom it was patterned. Selim is not an exact duplicate as it doesn't have the essential characteristics of the original. It doesn't mean that Adam was what God is. It doesn't mean that Adam shared any of God's essential attributes. There's no immutability in Adam. There's no omnipotence in Adam. There's no aseity in Adam. Those things are not there. So uh, uh, he, he's just a statue. It's it's just a likeness. Um, Selim can communicate that some essential attributes are are uh shared but that is determined by the context genesis 5.3 says you know talks about adam uh, uh, uh I, I think it's it's he had a son named seth is is kind of the terminology um and and but that's procreation it's not what god did when he created man so of course In Adam, in human beings, there is DNA that communicates some of the nature of the parents into the child, but that's determined by the context, Um, you know, so you can't, you can't take what's going on with Adam and Eve and the birth of Seth and imprinting that back on God and saying, see, because the context determines something completely different, uh, you know, even, even... How the word how a particular word in Greek or Hebrew um, may be defined uh, one very popular teaching uh, one very popular teacher uh, said this: Adam was literally the God of this world. God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself uh, I mean a reproduction of himself, and in the Garden of Eden he did that. He was not a little like God. He was not almost like God. He was not um, subordinate to God even. Adam was as much like God as you could get, just the same as Jesus when he came into the earth. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was not a lot like God. He was God manifested in the flesh. And I want you to know something. Adam in the Garden of Eden was God manifested in the flesh. Um, I I'm not aware of anywhere that says that God created man because he wanted to duplicate himself. When we're using image and likeness to communicate that untruth, we're inserting much, much foreign matter into the text. Um, it, it, it's just not a tenable position. Um, uh, you know, if, if, if it was true that Adam was God in the flesh, then it would negate Jesus' uniqueness as the only begotten Son of God and the Word made flesh. It would also, if if Adam was God in the flesh, was it God the Father manifested in the flesh, God the Son manifested in the flesh, or God the Holy Spirit manis- manifested in the flesh? is there a fourth person in the trinity how do you get this the other issue that needs to be raised is in that statement adam sinned meaning that someone if if god was manifested in the flesh as, as you know as adam that god in adam would have had to have sinned it's a ludicrous absolutely ludicrous statement jesus is the only begotten son he is uniquely the son of God. The Greek word for only uh only begotten is monogenes and it means in a radically distinctive um uh context and without equal. Jesus is radically and distinctively the son of God without equal. The word is actually used 9 times in the New Testament, 3 times um, it, uh, in Luke, it refers to the only child of his mother when Jesus was going along and, and that young man had died. And they said, this is the only child of, of his mother. And Jesus raised him from the dead. That's Mano uh, the only one. He was distinctly her son. It's also used of the daughter of Jairus. It was his only daughter and the demon-possessed boy, the only son of his father. The other six times, the word is used of Jesus and his unique relationship to the father. The word's never used of Adam. Adam is referred to as the son of God. Um, You know, in the genealogies, you have that they're the son of, they're the son of, and and it was uh, uh, the, I believe it's those issues, those... Phrases are italicized, meaning they were added by the translators uh to clarify uh the meaning but it's luke three thirty eight let me get over there real quick and confirm that 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 is uh the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God, typically the word for child is technon um it it can it can also be hueos um I think that's how you pronounce it hueos. But technon is used, um, but neither one of them are in regard to uh, any uniqueness. Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. Technon is never used in regard to, to Jesus. Uh, Jesus' birth was very unique. The fact that it was a virgin birth, the fact that there was an incarnation that God took upon him, the robe of the flesh, that's um, That's unique. Uh, in an interview on t b n the above quoted teacher who said that god was uh that Adam was God in the flesh uh the host made the statement, "I am a little God," and the individual uh quoted above said, "We are what he is um, you know to put Adam or Christians for that matter in the same category as Jesus." has no biblical basis whatsoever, and it, it assumes an untruth to be true to the point of being heretical um, you know and and really any study done before the statement was made would have proven that point amen um, as wonderful it is as it is to be a child of God and as miraculous as it is to experience the new birth it in no way shape, form, or fashion makes us divine. Uh, we are not God. We share none of God's six essential attributes. Uh, we do share his His moral attributes, love, holiness. Uh, we can share, uh, that's not all of his moral attributes, but we can share those, but he holds them in perfection and we do not. We're not God's. And the concept of believers being gods is certainly, certainly, certainly uh, bad and false doctrine, and it is an untenable position biblically. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first uh, podcast. Uh, We call you blessed. I really appreciate you joining in, and uh, we'll be back again on another episode of Rooted. God bless you.